Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and I need to say a couple of things. Firstly, you may remember, if you're a real shifty in the shifter, in the last episode of 2022, uh, a Q&A with Shane Meyerholt and Carly Lahana, I made a big deal in the intro about how that wasn't going to be the last episode of the year, and then it was. So, look, my bad. Uh, sorry about that. It happened for a number of reasons. And uh, I've learned an important lesson about not being too confident in what is to come in the future. And um, look, there were a few different intersecting reasons. There were, there were, we moved house uh, much quicker than anticipated in December. I lost my voice. Uh, someone was going to interview, got COVID. Uh, and then, then when we did move... Uh, all the stuff went into boxes and uh, we had tradies doing stuff at the house we moved into. And so look, that's one reason, I guess, from a logistical perspective. The other reason was, I think, uh, last year and the conversations we had last year actually ended up taking a lot out of me, out of Shane as well, who who was my conversation partner for much of last year. And um, and so having had a bit of a pause, realised that pause needed to be longer than I anticipated uh, needed some time and space to reflect and to process and to find some space after really what have been a series of pretty complicated, uh, intense, viscerally uh, potent kind of conversations about stuff that has mattered deeply to many of us. So um, anyway, that's my way of saying, whoops, that was the last episode of 2022, but now we're back. I hope you're glad to hear my voice. I am glad to to be talking to you. Um, we've had, gosh, a hell of a year really so far. Um, we've had cyclones and floods and <sighs> I don't even, I don't think we can call it a summer, but it's been pretty devastating. Uh, Hawke's Bay here in New Zealand where I grew up, it's been hit particularly hard along with other parts of the east coast of New Zealand. By cyclones, we had suburbs right here in, you know, in the in the neighbourhood that we just moved into just before Christmas. We had, we had flooding here in January uh, and and so, look, it's been a real time of it. It's pretty tough for a lot of folk. And coming on the back of COVID, which in itself, in its own way, has been, you know, draining the tank of emotional resilience for a lot of people. So this has felt like a lot. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, what a, what a just a, an intense and unexpected way to begin the year. Uh, if you're not in New Zealand, of course, you may just be, be well dealing with whatever challenges you have in your context. But uh, I'm glad to be here and talking again. Uh, now, my initial plan for this episode, what I really wanted to do was to start this year by kind of reflecting back on last year, reflecting on my experience of it, on the impact of those conversations, especially as we tackled so much in relation to the mega church, into toxic church systems, uh, into uh, addressing some of the themes that emerged out of the stories of, of folk and their experiences, uh, and to think out loud, I suppose, about what's going on and, and where that conversation can head and the different things people might need and where we're going to go from here with the podcast this year. That's kind of what I wanted to do with this conversation. And um, and perhaps I will still do some of that in some way. <sighs> but this morning, another story by journalist and documentary maker and podcaster and a webwormer, David Farriott, was published and uh, the one was, that was published this morning featured some more stories of harmful practices and experiences and abuse of power in two more New Zealand megachurches, City Impact Church and Life. 
And if you've been listening along, you may remember, I think I said right at the start of the mega church conversations that we had last year, that life is the place where I landed when I was, you know, when I first moved to Auckland when I was 18, spent around 13 years-ish, very deeply immersed in the context of life, spent a number of years on staff there. And, uh, and so, you know, this has, I guess, in some ways comes even closer to home and, and last year felt kind of uncomfortable talking about this and talking about it perhaps in such a public way which feels like it's breaking us a, a kind of taboo and I totally understand why so many people are still having anonymous conversations about this stuff because it's deeply um, uncomfortable and sometimes feels you know, very unsafe for folk to be able to talk about it publicly. I um, have chosen to talk about it in public with my real name and my real face and my real voice and um, and that has brought its own level of discomfort with it. But it's been interesting even thinking about sort of the start of this year and it might have even, uh, start of last year, it might have even been around this time last year. I can't remember exactly now when those stories about Hillsong started to, to come out. And and at that time I was like, oh wow, that feels pretty close to home, you know, Hillsong. Um, I went to Hillsong Conference a few times and uh, our church was kind of closely associated in many ways relationally with Hillsong and I know some of the people involved in Hillsong and so I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy to see those stories coming to light. Uh, I never thought that would happen. And then and then the stories about a rise church in New Zealand started to unfold and that was like another step closer to home because I'm like, oh, that's a church in New Zealand and I know a number of people within that space and um, some of the people who are affected by those stories and and so on. So that was uncomfortable again. <laughs> uh, and then now we're now we're right up to the point of talking about the church that I was a part of for, for so many of my, I guess, my formative years. And it's, and it's interesting even for me to just think about why this continues to be a conversation I want to have and why it still plays such a big role in my life in some ways. And it's a funny thing, you know, um, that sometimes... Things that happened a long time ago happened at a really critical time in our own development as people. And so they leave deeply lasting um, impressions on us. And so as a young adult, an 18-year-old through to about 30, you know, those formative years for me as a young adult in that process of becoming um, who, I, who I was to be, I suppose, were shaped very deeply by my experience there. And, um, and so as I read David's story, and I'm quoted in it, you know, which... Uh, is always happy to do, happy to offer some thoughts. And also, you know, the stories involve people I know. Um, the stories, both of, there, there are people who were the perpetrators of harm that I know and people who are the victims of that harm that I know. And so in that sense, there's, there's some interesting things to reflect on. And I want to use that, I suppose, as a way to reflect today just in a different kind of way, really, about what can be so tricky and complex about this stuff for people, what can be so potent about it, what can make it so difficult to talk about, um, what can make it so difficult to name, and all of the complexity and discomfort that comes up in these conversations. Um, so that's what I want to do in this episode. Um, you know, we've been talking about the mega church now for, for a lot of a lot of last year, and in many ways, it's there are lots of things I would believe me, lots of things I would much rather be talking about. 
Um, but this entire conversation connects to something that's been at the heart of in the shift since I began. And although we've talked about all sorts of different theological topics and ideas and, and interesting things, one of the themes that has run through all of this for me is that faith and spirituality and Christian faith in particular, which has been my context, should be something that disrupts and confronts the abuse of power uh, that we see so often in all sorts of ideological systems, but in particular in religion. Uh, that faith and spirituality, when it's healthy, should disrupt that kind of power and should center the voices and the needs of those at the margins, of those who are victims. Uh, this is the heart for me of the Jesus story. And that has been a theme that has woven its way through so much of the work I've done within The Shift. And so I just, I just can't not talk about this, right? Because so often, too often, our religious communities, our church communities and systems are doing exactly the opposite um, and we just have to be able to talk about that. I like to think, you know, that this podcast space is one where I'm as honest as I can possibly be. I know that most of us, certainly most of you who are listening to this, I think are, are sick of pretense. I certainly am. Um, you know, this latest story from David, you know, as I say, many respects uncomfortable for me in ways that last year's conversations weren't, and so I wanted to reflect on why that's the case on... What's going inside, going on inside me as I process all of this? Um, not, not I hope as a journey of ego, but as a way of hopefully maybe showing some solidarity for all of you, and to hope that maybe some of you might listen and feel like you're not alone, that someone else might get a bit of what you feel or think or are having to process. So, this episode—it's just me, just a monologue, which is the first one of these kind of monologue episodes I've done in quite some time. So here we go. Episode 75 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. All right, well, let's give this a go. I kind of I needed the music to pep me up there. That's good. Lift the energy. Uh, <laughs> Also, just a shout out to all the the budget garage brand um, intro music supporters out there. I still love you. Thank you for supporting that little piece of music every time that I consider uh, changing it. All right, um, where should I begin? <laughs> I guess in some respects, the this this conversation, this this um, most recent piece of work story, unpacking some of what's going on here in these churches is indicative of why Shane and I chose to start talking about this last year. If this had just been a story about a rise um, being a particular kind of place, I think we might have looked at that and gone, well, that's crazy. Yeah, we can maybe say some things about that. But do we need to? Not sure. But I think what struck both of us is that, wow, here's a story about a church that is in so many ways not unique, but in fact is an example, a model, um, a carbon copy of what is happening in so many of similar kinds of spaces around not just New Zealand, but also Australia and also really the world, 
right? Around the US, North America, up into Europe, UK. I've heard from people over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months uh, from from all of those places. Um, and all of them talking about how similar the stories are. And so what that said to us last year and what is highlighted again today, just freshly as I've, as I've read that piece of David Farrier's, is just that there are, there are some ways in which certain forms and certain streams of the church have normalized practices and normalized ways of being and normalized certain systems and belief um, beliefs and the structures that flow out of those beliefs that lead directly to harmful practice, to at times abusive practice, to unhealthy power, to abuse of that power. And as uncomfortable as it might be for people, that's not something that can continue to go untalked about. It's not something that I'm comfortable letting and it's not like I can, can control the conversation, but whatever I can do to help redirect the way in which faith communities might think about what it means to be a significant faith community or a successful one, whatever sort of language we want to give that. You know, I struggle with the word success when it comes to faith communities. I don't think it's the right kind of language. But, you know, I want to do whatever I can do to to strip down this idea that these mega churches are the models and exemplars of what everybody else should be trying to emulate because what that's leading to is just the propagation of harmful practices. And, um, and so, you know, this article, two more churches, same kinds of stories, uh, different in their own ways, different contexts, different leaders, different environments, and yet the same kinds of things going on. And so surely at some point we have to talk about that. So I guess, you know, that's in many respects like a, a like, yeah, we do, we do need to and I'm glad we have done so. Uh, and it's good to, <laughs> to land there in some respects because, you know, one of the things, as I reflected on my own experience of the conversations last year and it's been highlighted to me much more viscerally today, is this oscillation that I felt even within myself as we held these conversations around, are we being too sort of harsh, <laughs> mixed with, oh no, we definitely haven't, you know, every time I would hear another terrible story. But but it speaks, in some respects, that feeling itself, um, that then again, for me, today has come up, right? So here I am, contemplating again, um, people that I know, people that I have been friends with, who I've built relationship with, who I worked alongside, and a community that for many years I helped to build, right? That's that's a conflicted story for me because of all of those things. And there's a temptation in me, and I have to be honest about this, there's a temptation in me, and there was a temptation in me last year, to go, I'm not saying I have, but there's a temptation there's a feeling in me that wants to go easier on the people I know than on the people I don't know. And um, and so there were times last year where we had stories shared on the podcast that involved and implicated people that I know that I found deeply uncomfortable <laughs> to have on my own podcast and yet knew I needed to do so, right? Um, 
Because to me, this gets at the heart of, of a few different things. In one sense, it gets at the heart of why this is so difficult for so many people. Because from the outside, and, and, I, and I see this and, and even hear this from you know chatting with someone like David Ferrier, who's done so much work in, as an outsider in so many respects to these communities, probably understands them more, more than many outsiders do. And you're still kind of flabbergasted that people stay, that people find it so hard to leave, that you know all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and yet I deeply understand why people stay because I stayed for so long. And it's because, it's for all sorts of reasons, it's because there are many aspects of those communities that we care about, there are many people in them that we care about, and there are relationships that we build that we care about. And that makes it much harder to to just up sticks and walk away and go, if you guys, you're all terrible. Um, not only because it's about them, but we also come to recognize the ways we've participated in some of those things as well. And so the if you guys, you're all the worst is in some respects an abdication of taking our own responsibility. And as I read these stories today, I have to again take my own responsibility for the ways in which I contributed for at least some of those years into building a space that was harmful and at times acted in ways that propagated some of those harmful practices towards others. And even though I came over the years to see things differently, to desire change, and then ultimately to extricate myself, and now to, to, to speak in the ways that I do on, on something like in The Shift, you know, I have to own that. But that makes it complex too. Because uh, this is not just a matter of saying, those people in there are the worst, this is at least my perspective, right? Those people in there doing those things are the worst people in the world. Um, why don't, you know, everybody should just leave. Now, at the same time as saying that, that does not mean we are able to just let this all go and slide by, which is what the other temptation is to do, right? And the temptation that I've certainly felt, which is to say, okay, I know some of these people, and I know that they're trying to do good. And yet, a part of seeking to be a force for good in the world must be, for all of us, the ability to hear when what we're doing is harming people. And if we cannot hear that and respond to it and change as a result, then no matter who we are, whatever system we're building, our, all of our efforts to do something good in the world are going to ultimately get distorted and become toxic and create harmful systems. Because, you know, and I say this especially for those who have some level of privilege and some level of power, right? We have to be able to tolerate the discomfort of hearing from somebody that what we're participating in is harming them. To hear it, genuinely hear it with empathy and to seek to change as a result. That takes courage and in one sense it should be one of the most straightforward things in the world for the church to be good at because it feels like it's kind of central to the mission, uh, to, the, to, to what it is that, that sort of 
Christian communities should be built on. And yet we have to reckon with the fact that this is not just a religious institutional problem. You know, these the stories of the last few years of, of the, the Me Too movement, the abuse of power within the music industry, the film industry, all sorts of, and law firms, right? We, as human beings, grasp for power and then when we get it, we seek to defend it and to defend ourselves and to justify ourselves. And the invitation in this conversation, whether you are a leader in a megachurch or <laughs> you have power and privilege in any kind of context and in any kind of community, the, the challenge, the invitation in this moment is learn how to tolerate the discomfort and for us to change as a result of hearing and believing the stories of harm within our communities. And unfortunately, and instead, what we so often saw through the Hillsong story, through many aspects of the Arise story, and now even through these initial responses of these churches and, and David's article to, that, I've, that has just come out today, has been an, an unwillingness to tolerate that discomfort. Historically, and even now, when, when, when the challenge comes right up close, and instead to gaslight, to divert attention, to muddle and confuse or seek to muddle and confuse the matter and to point to all the good that we're doing. And, and that saddens me, that really it does. And so although I know people and I'm, I could tell myself stories, you know, internally about what these people are trying to do and what they mean to do, um, if we are unable to do that, and especially when we start to hear the tens and the hundreds and the thousands of the stories of harm, of abuse of power, of PTSD, of trauma, of depression, of anxiety, of mental health um, challenges, of, you know, of story after story after story. If we're in institutions and in organizations or in communities and we hear that those stories are happening within our spaces and we're unable to hear that, empathize and change fundamentally as a result, then we must be confronted. We must be challenged. We must be disrupted because that is... <sighs> no matter what we say, no matter what our vision statements, mission statements and logos look like, you are going to create toxic, harmful systems that crush people. Now, um, oh gosh, um, <laughs> and I say that, even as I say all of that and I feel the intensity in myself as I talk about this, um, I know immediately that that's complicated for me because I'm saying all of that not just to other people, but I'm reflecting on my own historic complicity. And, you know, gosh, when I was in my early 20s, I, as a part of a church um, project, if you like, I ended up going down to Wellington on the Enough is Enough march that Destiny hosted um, to support my pastor at the time who had been invited to speak on the steps of parliament. And so there I was, 
to my great shame now, um, marching in protest against civil union and prostitutional law reform. Um, a, couple of, a couple of years later, our church at Life was out on the streets again in a traditional family values march in Auckland, down the main street, protesting against civil unions and gay marriage and whatever it was at the time. You know, so as I, as I reflect on the intensity of emotion that I feel challenging these institutions and organisations to tolerate that discomfort and to change, I'm also reflecting on the ways in which I participated in those systems. And I was, for many years, unwilling to hear. And what that makes me think about now as a person still with power and privilege in society as a, as, you know, a straight white guy, you know, with a podcast, <laughs> um, is just that it would be um, inadequate for me to look back at those systems that I left and say, thank God I'm not like that anymore. And to not acknowledge the ways in which in wider systems and society, I still participate in ways that are harmful to others. And so it's not just that I want to focus my attention on these institutions because I do think they need attention, absolutely. But I also, as someone with some degree of power and privilege in life, need to also allow that discomfort still to remain with me and to tolerate that long enough for it to cause me to change. Um, so that's one thing I'm thinking about. <laughs> um, I had great plans for this chat to be quite structured, but I don't think it's going that way. So bear with me, all right? Um, look, woven through all of that, and I've mentioned this a few times, is, is what it's like to, to know people. And, and even my experience, you know, like my experience today of, of being, um, of my name and my quote being present in an article that's challenging and confronting to people that I also know. And knowing what that feels like to probably, you know, I don't know really, but to, I, I have no idea, you know, there's radio silence from that section of my world and, and I don't know what people think and I don't really, you know, I'm not overly concerned by it, I suppose, in one sense, but in another sense, I'm aware that it has real emotion, um, it has real relational fallout and... And that's for me as a person who's now been well over a decade out of a system like that. Um, and so if that's the case for me, where I'm aware of that relational fallout, I'm kind of anticipating it, I'm wondering how that's going to play out, uh, what that will mean. Um, then how much more is that the case for people who are still trying to extricate themselves from these systems? Because one of the things that happens within spaces like, like this and communities like this is that they become our entire world. And it gets harder and harder and harder to leave. And that's why sometimes we talk about them as being cult-like. It's not that they are these sectarian commune people who are living off in a, in a village somewhere and, and so on. It's just that it becomes an entire subculture that consumes your life and, and becomes everything. It becomes your whole world. And so imagining that it's possible for you to leave gets more and more difficult. Um, and the relational cost of leaving gets more and more difficult. You know, we, I think, I, I still 
feel the effects of building in my, you know, in that 18 to 30 kind of age when I had time and energy to stay up late talking with people to three in the morning or going out and building connections with people that were robust and what felt like they were robust, that were had some depth to them, that had consistency to them, people that I saw every day just about for probably 10 years, you know. Um, there is a consequence to um, walking away that I still live with in the sense that so many of the friendships that I made in that season of my life were not able to be sustained post that and certainly perhaps even more so now, I don't know. Um, and so even now, as someone who's in my 40s, I feel the effect of that on, my, on the trajectory of my life, you know. And I know that's been the case for many of you too. And so this stuff is complex and people are trying to weigh up all of that <laughs> and trying to make sense of all of that as they negotiate, can I leave or should I stay? Could this change? And again, um, we often do have hope for change because we know people involved in it. They're trying to do good things perhaps and they tell us that and probably uh, they are trying to do good things. Um, and yet we get faced with uncomfortable truths. <sighs> it's um, it's interesting, you know, even, even just reflecting, I suppose, on all of this in how I... How, let me put it this way, it is much easier to talk about those people over there who you don't know so well or at all than it is to talk about the people in your own tribe. And again, this is not limited to religious institutions. This is why you have, you know, political, you know, people who are attached to particular political parties who then... Um, castigate the other side for, I don't know, some kind of abuse and cover-up on that side, but when it's their own people, it's much harder to confront and expose. And suddenly the people who were so good at exposing um, abuse of power on the other side become complicit in covering it up on their own. And that's because it's always easier to um, talk about and to blame and to tackle people on who are an other, but it's much harder when they're your people. And I recognize that even, even though, you know, as I say, I've, I've been out of a church like life for, for a long time now. Um, but they were my people, right? And so, and I sense that, that pull, that kind of feel, um, just being honest about how I feel about it, right? I sense that in, in, in this work, um, this kind of pull to not be so confronting about this one. But that is exactly part of the problem, I think. This is how abuse within systems flourishes because we allow it to slide when it's our guy who did it. Um, we find it so much harder to believe when it's our guy who did it and or our church who participated in that. And I guess that's a part of why I'm so committed to continue talking about this even when it's uncomfortable. Because that's, I think, the only one of the only ways that a, that harm 
and abuse and toxicity within these spaces can actually get named and exposed and and dismantled. Because if we can never talk about it when it's our guys, if we can never talk about it when it's our people, um, if we're always trying to cover our own institutional nakedness, so to speak, uh, then we are going to create systems where abuse can flourish. And um, so we have to be able to, all of us, be willing to believe stories. If we're going to believe stories about those people over there, then when those stories of harm emerge that are much closer to home, we must be willing to hear them there also. Um, now, in all of that, I guess I just feel a, a kind of a deep sadness about it all. Um, I continue to feel that. That was my reflect. You know, that was one of my big feelings at the end of last year, and is and is a feeling that sits with me again today. And you know, some of that sadness just is just reflecting on the many stories, the many, many, many stories uh, that I've heard, that I've seen up close and that I've heard over the last 12 months as we've been doing this work um, because you all deserved so much better than that. So I carry that kind of grief with me today and I just want to acknowledge that. I think there's also a sadness that comes from kind of a damaging of innocence, of trust, of naivety, of looking back in my own past and seeing and remembering experiences that at the time were so meaningful to me, were so transformative in their own way at that time, and yet now have been clouded and muddled and confused by the layers of toxicity. And it feels like something's kind of taken away from you in that. And I'm, I'm sad about that too. I'm sad, I, I, I grieve the loss of relationship and a friendship that comes from naming and talking about this stuff. And, um, yeah, I guess that's me just trying to be honest about how I feel today. Um, you know, my big concern, I suppose, one of my big concerns <laughs> for these spaces is not always that they did X, Y, and Z however many years ago or last year or whenever it might have been. Often things that were done were terrible and I want to acknowledge the harm of those. But it's also true that we can learn and grow and change, right? It's also true that I did stupid and terrible things when I was younger and continue to do stupid and terrible things from time to time now. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, the response of these churches to stories like this is, it's so unfair that you're, you're attacking us. Nothing we could possibly say would, would, um, would make you think anything other than what you already want to think. You're just, you know, out to get us. Uh, the persecution complex and so on. But actually the reason to being tackled and targeted and written about is not always because certain things happened. It's because they have refused <laughs> to allow those stories to be heard. They've refused to be safe spaces. 
they've refused to listen, learn and change and instead have chosen to double down, to shift blame, to gaslight. They've chosen to not have the strength of character, to genuinely apologise, to empathise. And so even when there are good people involved that I'm like, hey, I know that person, I think they're trying. It's not enough to say they're trying to do good. Um, we all need to get better at developing strong enough character and a deep enough connection with our own embodiment and soul, if you like, to use that kind of language, that we are able to hear, listen, learn and change. And, um, and these institutions need to be able to do that if they want to stop getting written about <laughs> And I might say if they want to start in some ways trying to emulate or reflect the Jesus that they seek to serve. (sighs) I guess the last thing, here's the last thing maybe I want to say. And that's that all of this is in many cases not just about the people. It's not personal in that sense. I mean it's very personal for, for those who have suffered, for the victims of harm within these spaces. But in many respects, the critique offered here is not about particular people as much as it is about the systems themselves that we've built. And we're all responsible for building the systems that we inhabit. I'm responsible for contributing to the way I built the system of that church in the time that I was there. And in many ways, the work I do now is, I think Shane last year used the word penance. You know, we are seeking to undo some of that, I suppose, in this kind of work. But I continue to be responsible now for the kind of church community I I now help to lead and the kind of community I want to build there. I am responsible for the kind of system I build in my neighborhood, the kind of economic and environmental systems that we build together as communities. And... This is not just about targeting particular people. This is calling all of us to reflect on the kind of systems and structures that we build, that they would be ones that serve people, that build into them the ability to care deeply and to show empathy, to show humility and a strength of character that is able to tolerate discomfort so that we might change. So that's, I guess, my hope. Let me say one thing about where we're going with the pod this year before I finish. This would be my attempt at trying to finish professionally. Um, We're going to bring you more conversations. I think it's going to be good. Um, We're going to keep talking about some of this stuff, some of the challenges that emerge in toxic institutions. I don't think we just want to rehash all the stuff that we said last year and just sort of say it again but differently. Um, So we want to approach it in different ways. Some of the themes that came up last year and some of the questions that people were wrestling with and sitting with, we still haven't satisfactorily dealt with, so we're going to come around to some of those conversations again. Um, But we're also going to keep exploring how we build healthier and more meaningful communities, how we build better systems and structures for community. We're going to keep exploring what spirituality, faith, theology and belief can look like for those who are interested in it, in a way that's life-giving, in a way that helps us to navigate away from some of those harmful modes of being and believing. Um, so that's what we want to do. I'm looking forward to it. I would love, love, love to hear from you if you're keen to just get in touch. 
share any part of your story or just to tell me how you're feeling about all of this. You can email feedback at in the shift. Um, thanks as always to Reese Michelle for taking this audio and making it sound good. Until next time.